0: So here we are friends, we are in the fourth Sunday of Lent, which is kind of hard to believe. Like if you kind of, if you zoom out for a second, we have this Sunday of Lent, and then we have one more week of Lent, and then we have Palm Sunday, and then we have Easter. Can you believe that? Like we're almost there, and it doesn't help that Madison and I are expecting our first child the day before Easter. So for us, it really does feel like Easter is just getting closer and closer and closer and closer. So during this season of Lent, we have been tracking through the seven phrases that Jesus says from the cross. So if you look at all four Gospels and how and and where and with saying what they paint Jesus on the cross, you'll find that he says seven distinct different things across all four of those Gospels. So when you look at those last seven words that Jesus speaks as he's being crucified, I think it allows us to share and some of the most intimate moments with Jesus. And I really think that it's in those dying moments that we live with Jesus on the cross when we read these words that we see perhaps the most clearly his deep, deep love for us. So if we think back, the first week we talked about when Jesus says from the cross, Father, forgive them for they, not, they don't know what they're doing. And then the next week we talked about when Jesus turns to the criminal who's on his own cross next to him and says that today he would be with him in paradise. And then last week we let our youth ministry come in and take over our service for the wrap up of their discovery weekend. So we didn't cover a phrase last week. And then this week we're in the gospel of John and we see an exchange that Jesus has with his mother and with his best friend friend. And I want us to read it together before we go any further. It's the gospel of John chapter 19 verses 25b through 27. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here's your son Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. At first glance, you can't really help but notice here that Jesus is doing something that I think a lot of people do when they're on their deathbed, right? It's it's in those dying moments when Jesus is surrounded by the people that he loves the most, that the words he speaks suddenly become really simple, but also think really powerful. He says, take care of one another. Be there for one another when I'm gone. Love one another. Woman, here is your son. Here is your mother. I'm sure that many of you have maybe even experienced moments like that with loved ones. As they're on their bed approaching their last breath and they're able to look around at those they love most and just remind you to take care of one another, to stay together, to support one another when they're gone. And I think, I think that's great and, and I think that's definitely a part of what is going on here with Jesus and this phrase that he speaks. But I think there are some deeper implications for us as a people of faith that we should be taking away from these words as we continue to make our way through Lent Which begs the question what, what is really going on here I mean we can see on the surface level right, That Jesus is looking at those that are in front of him And saying hey when I'm gone Be sure you continue to take care Of one another Make sure my mother has a home Even if that means that she lives with you But I think there's something else going on That's under the surface So, so what is it what, what, what is really going on here What should we be taking away From this exchange between Jesus and those closest to him. Because I think this phrase that Jesus speaks is the phrase that we most often look at and say, I I just, I don't know what that's really saying to me right now. I mean, I get it that Jesus loved his mother and he loved his best friend, but what in the world does that have to do with me 2,000 years later as I read these phrases that Jesus speaks from the cross? Why does John think it's so important that we hear those words come from the mouth of Jesus? Before we try to answer that question, I want to be sure we understand who exactly Jesus is talking to here. Who these two people are. So Jesus is addressing the two people that he is closest with. And both of those people remain unnamed. We don't actually get to hear their names at all through gospel and they're a part of the small crowd that followed jesus all the way to the cross because besides this beloved disciple all the other disciples are hiding and they have been since jesus was arrested but first he speaks to his mother who only appears in the gospel of john twice that's it The first is a narrative that we read months ago when we were working through the seven signs and wonders in the gospel of John. And it's the first sign that Jesus does when he turns water into wine at a wedding in Cana. And if you remember, Jesus's mother is the one who pushes him to act. She walks up to Jesus and says, son, I think we've run out of wine. And Jesus basically says, I don't think that's my problem, mom. Mom. And then she sends the servant to Jesus, and the next thing we know, he's created an abundance of wine out of jars filled with water. So when, when you realize that, it makes a whole lot of sense that Jesus' mother, the one who seems to propel him into public ministry, is also here at the end when he's breathing his last. So Jesus looks at his mother on the cross, and, and it's, you can picture it, can't you? Filled with compassion for his mother's grief that he can see. He can see in her tears as she watches her son on the cross. And he looks at her and and tenderly he says, Woman, here is your son. And then he turns to this disciple whom he loves, or as it's called elsewhere and uh, in other places, the beloved disciple. And he looks at him and he says, Here here is your son, and here is your mother. And then it says that hour that this beloved disciple took Jesus' mother into his own home. The beloved disciple is an interesting character in the Gospel of John because we never learn who it is. We never get to see what the true identity of this beloved disciple is is. Some people argue that it's John because they think that the writer of the gospel would make themselves the gospel or make themselves the beloved disciple and the only place we have a beloved disciple is the gospel of John. So I think that's a fair argument, right? But still other people say that it's Lazarus that's the beloved disciple. And some people argue that it was Mary Magdalene who was the beloved disciple. And then some still say that it was James, the brother of Jesus, that he was the beloved Disciple. The truth is, we just don't know. We don't know who the beloved disciple was. And we didn't even know that there was a beloved disciple until the night before Jesus died, when he was sitting around the table with his friends sharing a meal together. Because it's there that the beloved disciple is first identified as the one that's reclining next to Jesus at the Last Supper. And then he appears again in our text for today when he's at the foot of the cross with the small crowd that followed Jesus all the way there and then it's this beloved disciple that's the first disciple to the empty tomb when Mary Magdalene comes and tells them that the tomb is empty but this is the disciple this this is the friend that that Jesus entrusts the care of his mother to when he's approaching his last breath and, and you may be thinking, and part of the reason I drew out that tension at the beginning of the sermon is because I felt that tension this, this week. That's great, isn't it? But what are we supposed to do with that today? Because it seems like up to this point, Jesus from the cross has been covering such massive topics Right? Such cosmic statements have been coming from the mouth of Jesus up until this point in time. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. How in the world could Jesus be forgiving the people that are crucifying him as they do it? Today you'll be with me in paradise. How is it that this criminal gets to go to paradise with Jesus when he's lived a life full of sin? How are we supposed to make sense of that? Both open theological doors that are really tough to close in a sermon. I think really tough to close over the course of a life. These are things that we can wrestle with for our whole walk with Christ. And then we get to this moment that Jesus shares with those that are closest to him that is just so human. It's just so human. Take care of mom while I'm gone. Make sure she has somewhere to live. Which, it gets back to that question that we asked in the beginning. What what is it that is really going on here for us? Why do we get to overhear these words from the Gospel of John? What makes them so important? And I think the key to understanding that question is to realize that Jesus is charging us with the same thing he charges his mother and his friend with. Here's what I mean when I say that. Many believe that for the gospel of John, the church, the household of faith, that thing that we call a community of Christian believers, that it begins right here. That it begins with this exchange that Jesus has with his mother and his best friend. Some people will point to Pentecost and the book of Acts and say that that is the place where the church is birthed. But many commentaries and many scholars say, yeah, but you can't look at this moment that Jesus shares with those closest to him. You can't help but look at it and say, but this sure does sound a whole lot like the first church. Because Jesus is asking two people, who are not biologically related, right? They're not actually family. And he's telling them to be family because of their faith in him, because of the way they've lived their lives and because of them following him to the cross. The bind that ties them together is their common faith in Christ. And I think that by definition, that is a church. Church. I think one of the things that Jesus does from the cross, I think what John wants us to see in this moment is that Christ here is creating the church. And if that's the case, then, then I think you see what I mean, because the charge that Jesus gives his mother and his best friend here is the same charge that Christ gives us today. Woman, here is your son, and to his friend, here is your mother because think about it isn't that our charge as a community isn't that our charge as a church as a body of believers isn't it the same thing that jesus asks us to do here and now as he's asking those at the foot of the cross to do then to take care of one another to to just be there for one another the question is how do we do that right I mean, that's great. We can stand up here and say that all day long. I think we all agree that a church should be one that is taking care of one another. But man, that's hard to do. It's it's hard to get into the nuts and bolts of that. What, What does that actually look like for us? If this is the charge that Jesus is giving us to be family for one another, then how do we do that? How do we live in the midst of a household of faith that says yes to this call that we find from Jesus on the cross? How do we reflect the vision that Jesus cast for this community that we call the church? And I'm just going to end super practical, guys. I I think there's three things that we can be doing that will help us live into this calling that we have as the church. And it's three things that you've heard before. It's nothing new. But I just felt convicted to remind us of what the call of the church is and how we should be treating one another and how we can live up to these words that we hear Jesus speak to the cross to us. So there's, I, think, I think there's three things that, that we can do to embody this church that we see Jesus create on the cross. And the first thing is this, to show up for one another. This one's easy, right? I mean, this is what we see the people at the foot of the cross do at the bare minimum, isn't it? They just simply show up for Jesus. When there's no one else that's willing to show up, they show up. The reason that Jesus isn't surrounded by enemies as he's breathing his last breath is because they showed up. It's as simple as this. You can't can't be family. You can't be community if you aren't present. For one another. So the first thing is just to simply show up. The second thing is this to connect with one another. Once you've shown up, the next step is to build a relationship and to begin to connect with one another. The way that Jesus does this with his disciples and this beloved disciple right before his death is by eating together. The Last Supper, right? The night before Jesus died, he gathered those closest to him and they just simply shared. A meal together. Have you ever really thought about that all of the things that Jesus could have done with that group of folks that were those closest to him in this life, that of all the things he could have done the night before his death, he chose to just simply sit down around a table and share a meal with them, to connect with them one last time by breaking bread and passing the cup? That's one of the reasons why we practice communion in here every week, but we also take it a step. Further than that, we have these communities that we live into every week that we call common tables here in the gathering, and and the vision for it is a whole lot like this: we eat dinner in someone's home together once a week. The dinners are potluck style, so the host provides the main dish, and then everybody else brings a side or a dessert. And the premise is really simple: we believe that one of the best ways that we, as a community of faith, can connect with one another is to just sit around the table and eat together, and, and break bread together on a weekly basis. So that's what we do once a week, usually on Wednesdays. And these groups are always open, so if you're, if you're interested, anyone is welcome to join. the The host home rotates every week, again, making sure that everyone gets a chance to host in their space and invite people into their lives. And I know for Madison and I, when I think back to us starting here in this community in July, I can't imagine not having those moments of connection with the people that are involved in those common tables. I wouldn't have the relationships that I have today with you all without those dinners. Jesus eats with those closest to him with the hope of connecting. And and when you do that, when you start to connect with one another and you start to break bread with one another, before you know it, it's almost like you blink and then, and then you realize what's beginning to happen. Because once you've shown up and once you've begun to connect to one another, you realize that you aren't just connecting, you've started supporting one another. And I think, I think that's the third thing. The third thing is that we are called as a community of believers to support one another because that's really the charge from jesus isn't it take care of one another support one another lean on one another be christ for one another be family be a community that we can count on that we know is going to show up that we know is going to pick up the phone i was wrestling this week with how to land this sermon of of how to really bring it home especially because those are just Three kind of generic things, aren't they? They're things that you already know, that we're supposed to show up for one another, and we're supposed to connect with one another. And the goal is for us to be a community that supports one another. And then I realized, whether you realize it or not, you promised to do that today. You did. Whether you realize it or not, you promised to be that kind of community today. Because there's a reason that we don't do baptisms after the service with just the family. There's a reason that, that we ask folks if they haven't already to join this church formally before we baptize their child or, or them. And it's because, like I've already said, we we believe that it's not just God that's making a promise. It's not just the family that's making a promise, but it's you. The church, the community that this child is, is nestled in, we believe that, that you are making a promise too. That you're promising to walk with this family and to pray for this family and to walk with Stella as she grows up. You're promising to pick up the phone when Blake and Rachel call. You're promising to help out with VBS when volunteers are needed. You're saying that you are willing to hold your nose for a weekend and hang out with middle schoolers that may stink just a little bit. That you're going to hang with Stella through her awkward phase. That if she gets into something really weird, you're going to love her anyway, right? I mean, that's what you're promising. You're promising to pour into this family and, and, and pour into this child. Because that's who we are as a church. That's who Christ is calling us to be. Can you see that? That when you boil it all the way down to its simplest form, that what you just did today is you promised Blake and Rachel and Stella that you would show up, that you would connect with Stella as she grows, and that you would support her with the hopes that she would be raised in an environment where one day she could see that Christ is her Lord and claim that love and that grace for herself. And believe it or not, believe it or not, I think all of that started on the cross with a really simple phrase, woman, here is your son. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person, here in the chapel, or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.